welcome to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because, unlike most, we do not focus on all the new, shiny, shiny things to buy. Instead, we focus on the value and the stuff we already have, like keyboards. <laughs> the Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and a happier relationship with our electronics and our monthly community electronics repair events here in London that we call Restart Parties are just the beginning. Uh, my name is Janet Gunter and I'm joined by John who works with us uh, at the Restart Project. Hello. And Ben, who's just stepping in after <laughs> taking a look at some of the equipment here in the studio. He's one of our repair volunteers. And today we're going to talk about something that is a part of our everyday lives. Um, some of us pay a lot of attention to it, and some of us do not, and that is the keyboard. <laughs> and we got to thinking about this um, just because we, we have seen keyboards at our community repair events. People bring them in, and they, want, they often want to fix them. Oftentimes it's really tough, um, but it's an educational experience. But also because I, we reflected on the keyboards in our daily lives, and actually um, a lot of us do have keyboards that we've kept for quite a long time. Um, and I wanted to get into that a little bit, having thought also of um, the Jonathan Chapman's concept of emotional durability, emotionally durable design. So the notion that some products are more emotionally durable. And I think what we'd like to do today is talk about our, our, either our interest, our attachment to keyboards, and um, what makes them durable. Is it that we're actually quite attached to them emotionally, or that they're just a really utilitarian um, and potentially uh, customizable part of our daily lives? Um, so uh, we have John and Ben, who are both huge keyboard enthusiasts. <laughs> Yes, if, um, if, you, uh, if you don't like nerdy conversations about keyboards, uh, you may want to tune out at this moment. Otherwise, it will be really interesting for you. Oh, come on. We're going to talk. I'm not super into keyboards, but I, think it, but I think they're actually a really interesting window into the way we use hmm. technology. So um, I'm not a nerd, and I'm going to steer it away from the super nerd, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, John, tell us about the keyboards that you use and that you brought here today. Okay. Um, well, what I use currently, I use um, a Cherry keyboard with cherry red MX switches on it. Uh, I brought it along with me today just because that's what I do. Um, so here is uh, how this sounds when you type on it. And just to say that John has not really moved the mic. Like, it's, it's quite a loud keyboard. Um, and I sit across from John yes. <laughs> every day. Um, so tell us what a cherry keyboard is. Is what's so special about it? Well, Cherry's the manufacturer. What's special is, um, are, what is special about it, though, is the switches that is um, located under each of the individual keys. Um, so Cherry's the most popular brand. And Ben, please feel free to jump in here on this as well, because I know this is uh, where the nerdiness yeah, comes no, from. They've led the market for about 30 years. So. Exactly, yeah. Um, and um, the switch is basically what controls the button that goes up and down. There's a variety of types. This one has what are called linear uh, switches, which is sort of a light, and uh, a, they argue it's a low-noise kind of switch as well. That one, the one you just... Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Uh, you can get louder. Uh, <laughs> you can get much louder than this, um, and there's an example we can play in a minute. But, yeah, um, yeah no, for me, I'm, I'm more of a recent convert to the mechanical keyboard world, um, 
I've always viewed, you know, a keyboard as just sort of a basic utility of interfacing with a computer. Um, but what I found as I spend more and more and more of my waking hours online is that I'm typing an awful lot and that I should really invest a little bit more in myself and in my hmm. comfort in typing. Maybe it's a bit like the mattress, you know, the cliche of mm. like you spend eight hours of your of every day on the mattress so don't be so cheap and <laughs> invest a little yeah, bit yeah. more exactly yeah. exactly so i mean you know as i was typing more and more i was finding my hands were getting more and more tired and you know i was just finding more and more effort and then finally i got to a job where um they had the most awful membrane style keyboard a basic style keyboard that you could get it was dirty it was hairy i don't know <laughs> if the hair were from previous users or was it my own i didn't think i was blonde at any given moment but <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was in the past. and But what was really annoying about it was, um, you know, I was finding a lot of effort that I had to push keys down in a particular way in order for that contact mm. to be made and that electrical signal to be sent back that, to the computer. That is frustrating, actually. It's yeah. incredibly frustrating. So mm. I took the plunge and I spent, you know, a, a bit of money on my own keyboard. And I haven't looked back since because, you know, when you're typing lengthy documents, typing is just a joy. You know, you're getting a good feedback response. You know that when that key goes down, you are going to, mm. you know, get exactly what you wanted it to say, assuming you know what you want to say. And, um, you know, basically, you don't feel as tired and you feel a bit more joyful about writing that 10,000-word essay, let's say, or, uh, you know, something. Emails. Exactly. <laughs> like, um, hmm. So how did you so – your, your keyboard's a couple years old. Did you, you bought it secondhand? Is that right? Uh, no, I bought it brand okay. new. Um, as I mentioned, uh, the keyboard I, I uh, inherited was a good argument for not buying secondhand because I wanted to know exactly where it was coming from. But from what I understand, Ben, you can get a lot of these as well secondhand, can't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm really thrifty, um, and I tend to think it's a bit greener to look for secondhand stuff. Um, but keyboards and mice are some of the grubbiest things you'll ever find. Um, so that is true. That what is I true. usually do when I buy something secondhand is strip it down, clean it thoroughly, and that is kind of like taking ownership because mm. then it's like it's new to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. No, then there's a lot that you can achieve with, yeah, just some patience and, uh, well, cloths, toothbrushes, mm. canned air. Hand soap. Yes, hand soap. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you also have some cherry uh, keyboards here. Yeah, so because there are basically, it, it's about feedback. You know, while you're typing, you want to um, be able to know whether you're typing accurately or not. So there's tactile feedback where you can feel it, click, so you can get it with or without that, and you can get it with or without audible feedback, so it actually makes a clicky sound. Uh -huh. So there are all kinds of combinations. John's a big fan of the audible feedback. Oh, yes. You are not, apparently, Ben. Um, no, interestingly, I've, I've lent uh, my loudest keyboard to my housemate and started noticing when he's on his computer, so uh, that's, that's an interesting one to come up. I'm obsessed with silence, so I actually get the, the quietest keyboards and then put cushions under each key so that they get even quieter. <laughs> Wow. I feel like we have, like, polar opposites here. I'm glad you guys haven't gotten into a bigger argument. Okay. Yeah. So um, you have yeah. one that's... Um... Let's demo the, uh, the, the, the clicky switches. So wait, is this, your, is this the silent keyboard? This is, so this is the louder one. Okay. Okay. So it, it, you can feel it like a definite click mo motion, but also it makes a sound. So... It's um it's about kind of uh, knowing like with traditional typewriters you'd get a big clunk, mm. so I think a lot of people have moved forwards into this style as mm -hmm. a replacement, um, and then here's the one I use for uh, for playing games on. And this is a much thicker one. Probably. Yeah, and that is and that's part of it. You see, it's got a big heavy metal base and rubber feet, so that kind of cushions a lot of the sound out. And I've also added the rubber cushions to the keys. Okay. 
okay. It's yeah, it's slightly softer, but it's still yeah. well, well. Something I learned, and John might agree with me on this, is uh, it does come down to how hard you hit the keys because you can still make them hit the bottom of the keyboard if you hit them hard enough. So yeah, some of the loudest keyboards I've heard are actually membrane keyboards, and just a very angry user at the other <laughs> um, end of I it. I definitely so. have. I, there is an angry user of keyboard in my <laughs> in my uh, in my house. Yeah, every time I go home, I hear my dad. You know, kind of hammering, like literally hammering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And um, we found this quite uh, fun video um, that just that uh, basically compares these different switches mm-hmm. like that you were referring to, that keyboards have different kinds of switches and they sound different ways. Um, we're going to play. This is a video from Wirecutter, um, and they've just they've done us the favor mm-hmm. of, of comparing all of them. So here we go. This is the green. The clear switch. The red switch, which I believe John has. The black switch. The brown switch. And a notification. Yeah, <laughs> the pest notification, and that's the blue. So it's uh, it's kind of a world. It's a dive into a different world. Um, mm-hmm. I I didn't really know much very much about this actually until. Uh, John sitting across from me uh, <laughs> enlightened me. Yes, and um, insisted upon, you know, when moving into the office, bringing his own keyboard from home, <laughs> which was probably a little bit suspicious, but there we are. But, um, uh, Ben, you you were saying that it took you a long time to mm. actually choose among these swi- these different switches and realize what kind of keyboard you wanted. So yeah. it, it's something uh, that you kind of get into that takes a little bit of time. Yeah, c- especially because, you know, most people, the keyboard comes with the computer and that's just they just use it. But once you start getting into paying good money for them you realize there's a world of choice and you can kind of customize it to yourself yeah and actually some of the other mods that exist for keyboards are lighting related so mm-hmm. can you tell us about that ben? yeah so well gaming right now you know gaming uh, they're really good at selling up a certain style of product mm-hmm. to say you need this to perform better and to win to win matches and so the big thing with gaming right now is rgb lighting where you can actually program any shade you know of, of color and even different regions of the keyboard Okay, and you you said you're you're typing often at night, so you've actually used that. Yeah, as I well. find a backlight really useful. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. I mean, it honestly hadn't really occurred to me, although, yeah, I mean, other displays have lights mm-hmm. on them. I don't uh, see why I keep. Actually, the, the I have in front of me. I'm going to confess a Mac product that has like a backlit keyboard. Mm-hmm. It's highly unrepairable and extremely annoying, but <laughs> but uh, I quite enjoy that. It's one of the things I think people identified about them that they like um we've seen actually speaking of apple keyboards we've seen um at restart parties some of the flatter ones Mm -hmm. that um and i was absolutely astounded that they're um they're spot welded in over a hundred places so essentially they're a throwaway Mm -hmm. item um and that was a bit of i quite appreciated them Mm -hmm. aesthetically until that point but when i realized that the the you know the cost of the aesthetic is actually just a throwaway mm. item. I didn't like them yeah. as much anymore. And that's an interesting um, positive of the um, the Cherry-style uh, key switches. Mm-hmm. Each one's an individual electronic product, so you can buy them and replace them as they wear out, which mm-hmm. means you can have a 40-year-old keyboard or, well, 35, that actually you can replace with current model components. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I most love about uh, keyboards. So, you know, I'm not as into the actual... Um, tactile aspects and all the customizable bits and pieces but i use a 17 year old keyboard mm-hmm. at home it's the uh, i believe it was called the apple pro and it came out with the e- emacs yeah. that two th- in 2000 and i guess it's just it's a real it's a real amazing thing to think that that's really the most durable part of mm-hmm. my computing life is, is the keyboard mm-hmm. um with 17 years on i'm still using the same one 
Um, and I noticed, uh, I, I actually I agree with you, John, that it's, you're taking a risk when you buy a keyboard on eBay. I did, I bought mm -hmm. the one I use on eBay, and I think it still cost me like 10 quid a couple of years yeah. ago. So they really, these Apple keyboards are retaining their value as well. Yeah, because of course they don't make them like that anymore. Mm -hmm, exactly. The same but, model's not available. Yeah. So, um, and, and actually, I've almost become like an unwitting collector of these keyboards <laughs> when I rescue them because I know that they have some real value, for, not just for me, but for maybe for other people. And we have some in the office now. So um, we asked uh, people, we asked uh, people on Twitter to share um, some of their um, their favorite keyboards and um, potentially mice or other peripherals. But I think actually people mm. are most attached to keyboards. Um, and a woman in Quebec uh, tweeted back and shared a photo um, of her, her keyboard. Uh, Lori King shared a photo of her keyboard. She says, uh, the monitor and keyboard are 15 years old. Um, in, in her PC tower, she's upgraded it numerous times. She's also, mm -hmm. it's the same PC tower she's had for 15 years. Um, and she said that the letters have worn off the keyboard. But that it, and she does have some sense of attachment to mm. it. Even um, she said, just done a lot of stuff on it, and would not never think of replacing it. Um, so, you know, it's not just the, I guess, the keyboard fanboys are interested in mm. keyboards. A lot of us also end up just having them around. Um, so I think keyboards are not just they're not just any interface. Um, and um, we're gonna pick that up in a moment. <laughs> Um, so I was reflecting a little bit. Okay, so how is it that I'm still using something that's 17 years old? And um, if I think about it, one of the reasons is just the, the USB connectors mm -hmm. themselves. Um, and, uh, well, Ben, you seem to be quite schooled in the history of things, but I was reading up on the universal serial bus. Yeah. And it's quite amazing to think um, that it's kind of evolved in this way that has what they call backwards compatibility yeah. built in. So can yeah. you tell us a little bit of, about that or what's behind it? I remember first hearing about mm -hmm. it. Um, it was a big deal because they said not only does everything connect over one thing because before that you had a parallel port for your printer or scanner serial for your mouse you had a, a ps2 connector for your keyboard and everything was unique so you had one plug for everything yeah and when it came out they were like you can plug anything into it and you can plug like 127 devices into one port and it was it was like genuinely exciting um but because it's it's followed that protocol but up the speed mm. it can always step down to the old protocol yeah um, and what I was, I was just really intrigued that uh, it was like, it was like about seven companies that came mm -hmm. together in the mid '90s, and they. Um, I, I just this is just straight from Wikipedia, although this is from the simple Wikipedia <laughs> because the Wikipedia entry on USB, the hardcore entry is really oh, scary. Yeah. Um, the simple one tells us that that a couple of companies got together what they called Plug Fest um, in the '90s and um, decided uh, to to create this, mm. um, and that it's now. I forget what it's called, but it's it's basically there's a forum that mm -hmm. um, implementation forum that's what it's yeah. called. Um, although um, Ugo brought to my attention that the new USB C mm -hmm. um, uh, plugs will not necessarily be backwards compatible. Mm. Uh, it's the first time yeah. in over twenty years. Because those are also bidirectional, so da uh, power and data can go both ways along them. There you go. So it's quite a different format. So I'm hoping that we don't see somehow the obsolescence of all these beautiful old uh, keyboards and other things down yeah. the line. 
Um, Although I should say that um, most keyboards at the hardware level actually communicate using an even older serial connection, mm -hmm. and they just they just branch it out into USB. But you can usually plug them straight into the old, I think 1982 or 1985 connection, and they still work. Wow! And every touchpad and every laptop has the same protocol. It's wow! Just, we just don't know about it. Okay, well that's reassuring. <laughs> um, and I, I was also reflecting, you know, thinking about okay, you know, we we all saw the. Um, you know, Tom Cruise waving in the air in the Minority Report. And we've been promised so many other forms of interfaces, right? So, so many other ways. You know, we've got um, these voice-controlled things. We had a Nintendo Wii, you know, gesture control. Um, and for some reason, none of it seems mm. to have the same power as, um, as keyboard. E even the QWERTY keyboard itself is um, it's meant to slow the typist down. Um, and yet we still use it. So... There's something really persistent about mm. the, the keyboard. Um, uh, did anybody here use uh, any of these other, like Wii or any other voice controller things? And do you think that are we going to get to the point where we're no longer typing away? I, th I think with the voice control thing, um, I mean, it's technology that's co clearly come a long way because way, way back when I was like six, uh, my parents bought me a voice-controlled um, switch controller for my lights in my room. So in theory, it was called the Lamp Commander, okay. uh, which was great. Um, but in theory, I could, from my bed, just shout, Lamp Commander, lights on, and the lights would go on. Um, and they eventually took it away from me after you know a couple of weeks <laughs> because I would just be sitting there and just shouting at the top of my voice, Lamp Commander, <laughs> lights yeah. on! And it would still be dark, and then this would go on for about 20 minutes before I eventually got out of bed. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's come a long way, because, I mean, obviously, there's some sort of voice recognition that is picking up those particular words and that sort of thing. But, I mean, for me, the thing that is really, would, you know, I want to adopt the th kind of things that I can shout at something and say, turn on the lights, you know, or, you know, make me a coffee, whatever. Um, but it's, there's an element of privacy. Like, I would think in an open office plan, if I were just sitting there and sure. just shouting at my computer, email, you know, yeah. how annoying would that be? I know I'm annoying already, <laughs> but on top of that... Okay, I mean, but, okay, okay, but so obviously there would be moments when we might use voice control, we might use gesture, gesture control, and I, I, I was looking at um, Google's, uh, well, Google's own minority report attempt called Project Soli, and it's radar-based gesture, um, gesture interface, so I'm just, I'm just putting it out there, and I'm probably putting it to the wrong people who love keyboards, but um, what if we, in future, will be essentially typing into air? No, I think it's super um, exciting. Um, mm. I actually, I read up on the, the technical side of that a little bit, and what's unique about um, Soli, is it? Mm -hmm. um, is that uh, because it's just sensing what you're doing with your hands, you get tactile feedback, but from yourself. So rather than being like, okay, you have to kind of imagine clicking, there's mm -hmm. a motion and you feel your fingers touch. And so that means you've still got the feedback that I think is so important to your relationship mm. with the interface. Um, but I would be excited if you could customize it. Ah, well, I think that's probably in the works. I mean, the, Google tends to build these like developer-based platforms, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's what this one is. Um, what, one thing I really appreciated about it is that it harkens back to analog, um, analog uh, control. So mm -hmm. you've got... Um, you know they, the different gestures. One is like mm -hmm. um, turning a knob. One is like turn, uh, pushing a dial. Um, and so, they, in a sense, they they're in a sense they're they're cont continuation of, of analog. Well, controls. well, they're going back to stuff we already know, right? Mm -hmm. So, with robotics, mm. they usually look at how the animal kingdom or humans do it, and then copy that 
and develop from there. So to say, well, everyone knows how to work a volume control. Why don't we just program that in? Although, you know, looking at my my little younger nephews, um, they're growing up with voice control and swiping. Mm-hmm. And they actually don't have as much, you know, they don't have as many different dials mm. and, and, and switches in their lives. Um, so I'm wondering whether it's almost like they're creating stuff for the older generation and they need anyway if, if there's a bridge that needs to be mm. made but i think the the projects are, are pretty exciting um from 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 a waste perspective it's it's pretty exciting that that we could have interfaces that aren't embodied particular um and that are potentially like or that can be mm-hmm. customized in that way that don't require actual yeah. physical investment yeah. well, what's great about the soli chip is it's all on one chip the uh, the two different types of radar transmitter and antennas are on one chip so there's not like a piece that will wear out or get broken if you step on it because it's inside the machine. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's kind of exciting. Um, it still feels a bit beyond, um, beyond what, we're, what, we're, what we're currently, um, currently experiencing. Um, and what, what about, um, did anyone, did you guys ever use uh, uh, anything other like joystick or, or gesture-based or we anything that is embodied but gesture-based? Um, well, I didn't use it personally, but there was a time when I, I volunteered at a center for people with, um, you know, pretty severe disabilities. And I remember being fascinated by, like, how they would control, you know, using head motions mm-hmm. um, and using, you know, what motion they could to actually control the mouse and control their interface with the computer. Um, and that, w- that was really quite remarkable. And hopefully that, you know, could be make technology a lot more accessible yeah. for, you know, people in those conditions as well. That's actually a field I really want to get into um, mm. because these customizations are unique to the user. Yeah. So it, if you can develop a platform that is flexible, you can help a lot more people than if you just develop a new gadget. Well, and I also, I mean, personally, I, I, it's funny because, you know, if you ask my nephews, like, what it is adults do, they'll say write emails. Like, their notion <laughs> of what work is is very much like a sedentary you know, he knows us well. You in front of a keyboard, um, and you know the, the promise of the laptop was very much like that you could go places, or that you could, you know, or even the tablet that you could be out and you know be more active and interact mm. in different ways with technology. But oftentimes, it doesn't really feel like that's that's for the consequence of all of it. We're still very seated in front of a thing and interacting mm-hmm. in the same same ways. Um, maybe some of the gesture-based interfaces, of voice control, will actually almost like allow us to be more active in the way that we. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's one thing you see in a household that's using voice control, like um, using Alexa effectively is like, you know, there there actually are less people um, yeah. staring down at a screen and swiping. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, that for me, that's one of its promises. Yeah, um, I would like that if I could be standing there cooking dinner and just be like, OK, computer, send an email and dictate and trust that it would dictate it correctly and then send it and then have it read the next one back, that would be an awesome way to multitask and be active. I guess one of the creepy things about voice control in the end is um, is that it's always listening. And mm. um, I guess we've talked about that, but um, that there are ways in which, um, yeah, on one hand, it's really fascinating. But mm-hmm. if, in other words, to use voice control, you need to tap into these massive um, networks. Yeah. And when you do that, you're giving over some of your thoughts, your privacy, your... Um, it's true. So there are there are massive consequences to that. Although um, we found out that um, I, I think we read recently that that there was like a uh, what do they call them keystroke trackers built yeah. into a couple of laptops. Yeah, and other... in, in the audio drivers, I think it was um, for a couple of HP machines, was it? Yeah. So in uh, a sense, we've already given over our privacy yeah, by being connected it. to the internet alt- altogether. Um, 
Well, um, people, we've got some uh, people sharing uh, some keyboards on Twitter. Um, uh, somebody just shared a keyboard uh, in Buenos Aires, taking apart one of the the uh, Apple ones that has just an insane number of screws. Um, our friend Marina, who actually came into a radio show before. Um, so, yeah, keyboards are a universal part of our lives still, I would say. Um, and um, we're, we're not anywhere near uh, being finished with them. Um, what would you guys recommend in terms of if a person wants to kind of think a little bit more about um, buying better keyboards, a keyboard for durability for, to last them, a keyboard that they really like? What would be some of your recommendations? I would basically think, what are you going to do with this? Like, what do you use a keyboard for? Um, one of the things I was looking through, um, because there's different form factors of keyboards, and get ones with keypads, ones without, you know, certain configurations. Um, you know, if what are you actually spending your time typing with it, and how do you want to use it in that way? I mean, for me, I spend most of my time typing. So when I based my decision, it was on switch factor, where I'd be typing, and that sort of thing. So mm. one that's reasonably quiet, good feedback, um, and wouldn't annoy the people around me that much. Yeah, I think um, for me, there were so many variations. I had to try a load before I knew exactly what I wanted because I would get something and go, oh, there's this little tiny problem. So um, like try before you buy or borrow friends and experiment because you don't know what's going to come up. So um, take your time and then invest as well as you can. And that way you'll last. Yeah, well, it's also saying that there is a really healthy resale market for laptops on eBay So if it, um, or your favorite online <laughs> platform um so if 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 you buy something and you're not necessarily satisfied with it chances are you'll make back a, mm -hmm. a good deal of the money you invested in it um i would say just from a perspective of um somebody who's not necessarily um enchanted with all of the ergonomic and um uh, customizing aspects of a keyboard just make sure that um that it can be repaired or yeah. replaced so just look for spares and and just look online to see how mm -hmm. difficult it is to get in because in the end of the day you know everyone yeah takes risks with keyboards mm. everyone is eating on top of them spilling stuff all over them um you may think you're cleverer than everyone else but <laughs> you probably will have to fix the keyboard another thing with laptops is um some laptops have extremely replaceable keyboards mm -hmm. that's literally just um pop it out put in a new one and cost you 10 quid and other laptops are an absolute nightmare to mm -hmm. replace the laptops on uh, the keyboards on so i would definitely uh, think of that before you're before you're buying uh bu buying a new laptop um we've got uh, a couple of events coming up where we can help you um with some advice or and help with and uh even water damage or other forms of damage to keyboards um but you'll have to get stuck in um we've got uh, a restart party in leighton stone on saturday at 11 a.m and um yes if you have a keyboard problem uh and especially if it involves liquid damage come early for help um You've been listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. You can find out more about our restart parties, uh, our community repair events on our website, therestartproject.org. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook. And a thank you to OptoNoise and Cassini Sound for our music, uh, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs, and discard electronics. And we're here every week at, uh, on, at 1.30 p.m. on Tuesday. We'll see you next week.